Welcome to the untitled podcast that is geeking or something. We don't. We have no idea what this show is going to be called. <laughs> We're figuring it out as we go along. Exactly. We recorded an episode one or episode zero. It's an episode dead because my mic was just so low. It. It. I mean, maybe some arcane science could recover that audio. Still have the file, but it's probably not going to hear the light of day. So we're going to kind of go over it again, but because we're human, we aren't going to completely repeat exactly what we did before, because that was two-ish weeks ago, and I can't remember that far back <laughs> that with that detail. <laughs> anyway, I'm David Moore. I am an elapsed podcaster from the Game Master Show, After Serenity, The Signal, really wanted to get back into podcasting again, and the current situation, COVID-19 made that a lot easier so maybe silver lining i also friend of mine game designer jerry grayson we do uh, a video cast called cowboy dracula on youtube and so go ahead and check that out but i am here with my co-host co-producer and partner in crime partner in crime fellow mad scientist <laughs> yep Fellow geek parent. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm Ken Newquist, and uh, I am also a lapsed podcaster, perhaps slightly less lapsed, as though I have managed to eke out a podcast once a year for the last several years on my website, uh, nuketown.com. Um, I uh, enjoy all manner of geeky things, including uh, tabletop games and board games and, and stuff related to that, and other stuff that we're going to be talking about on this podcast once we start segueing, which is uh, not so geeky stuff like uh, backpacking and camping and running, which, uh, as we talked about in our previous episode, Negative One, uh, <laughs> is not a thing I ever thought I would have said 20 years ago, but, you know, we yeah. grow over time, right? Uh, so talking about the great outdoors, hex crawl. Uh, yeah, which is, uh, uh, we had talked in, uh, that earlier episode about like the fact that I had no idea what a hex crawl was up until a month or so ago. And evidently it's a, been a thing for over three years, two, three years at least. And yet I am just now hearing about it, which also makes sense because I moved about two years ago and hadn't been as into gaming as I have been. Uh, especially like keeping up with it uh, over the last few years uh, just because of life. So I decided to give it a try because it sounded cool. And I have always loved the Gamma World as a setting and uh, and such. And so uh, with three friends, I ran our first session of Gamma World. We I decided to use second edition, which is only marginally... It has... A little bit more than first edition. I have every edition up through fourth, I believe it is, which is the D20 edition that came out via White Wolf, uh, which has some cool ideas, but I it does, didn't feel like Gamma World to me. Um, I agree. Whereas second edition is, oh my gosh, that thing is so gonzo. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, it oh, is. I've been geez. reading up on it since you mentioned it. It's it's so it's it's fantastic. basically totally random in terms of what you get. There is no balance at all in uh, between characters. Um, it has come a long time in, since 1983. Let me just put it that way. Uh, yes, <clears throat> you know. So it is 
well, let me just give you an example. We have three characters. One character is a pure strain human, and we have two mutated uh, characters, one human, one animal. The mutated human, when you're rolling for mutations, if the you get to add in your constitution, I believe it is, into onto your percentile roll uh, for physical mutations. And the higher you get, the better. The lower you get, the more of a chance for a defect you get. And he rolled, oh, and you roll 2d4, 1 for men, one d4 for mental, 1d4 for physical. And he got fours for both. And we're, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be such an OP character. Uh, <laughs> and then he starts rolling. He ends up getting two physical defects out of his four physicals. But he also rolled over, because of the bonus, over 100, which allowed him to choose two physical mutations. Um, <laughs> so he had like five physicals and four mental. And so he got like death field generation and, uh, or no, sorry, he didn't, he, he wasn't the one that got death field generation. He got life leech, uh, which allows him basically to be a vampire in an area effect around him, uh, and a bunch of other, other mutation stuff. And it, he was pretty good. Uh, he rolled kind of low on hit points, about like 29 ish or something, which is really low in that edition of Gamma World, because what you do is you take your constitution score and you roll that many D6. And that's oh, your hit points. Pure strain humans get... Uh, so when you're rolling up characters, you normally roll four die six and you drop the lowest, unless you're pure strain human. For pure strain human, for their constitution and two other stats, they get to keep that fourth die six. So they have a lot of hit points, or should. Uh, so <laughs> this other player rolls and is writing all the numbers down, and it's like, uh, I think this character may be uh, may be a bad character. It's like, why is why do you say that? I have a four constitution. <laughs> he rolled four die six and got four ones, and has, I believe, a total of something like seventeen or nineteen hit points total. You know, and this is a case where normally you'd have like 40 or 50 hit points. Right. And they don't go up when you level, really. And then uh, later on that in that game, uh, you know, a friend of mine finally was able to join. And he also rolled Gonzo on his mutations. But he also rolled really well and has like uh, on his um, hit points. And he's got up near 90 hit points. Like he's got more than both of the other characters combined. Um, <laughs> nice. So, so we've been running through Albuquerque starport, which is the module that's in like the, the GM screen that came with the, the games. I'm actually running the first edition version of that. Um, there really isn't any difference between those two, but I keep having to remember not to use what's in the book, but to cut it by at least a third because <laughs> the recommended character size, and this is another thing that's changed over the years, is it says recommended for four to eight character, four to eight players with a recommended of six. Wow. And like now it's like four is kind of the default. Um, right. And, and so here I am, you know, like there's like, oh, there's these three giant 
mutated sand shark things. And I, and I'm like, wait a minute. I should, there, sh- there should be one mutated sand shark thing and I should probably lower <laughs> its hit points. Illusion. Yeah. I should probably lower its hit points a little. And, and yeah, cause otherwise they're just going to die like right off the bat. But what I want to do is I kind of want to add some house rule stuff in there where, and actually I have a, a packet of it. I had picked up, what is it called? The it's, it's the itch.io is currently running a bundle for black lives matter and, uh, a bunch of other civic-minded charities and uh, right. like the Bail Project and such, and so it's like five dollars or whatever you want to pay. I paid ten dollars, um, and right now I think the number is seventeen hundred games of various kinds. Uh, most of them are computer games, but some are not. And I I found this thing called Ex Novo. Um, have yet to play around with it, but the idea is is you get around with four people up to four people and you make a settlement. Um, and basically that's like the session of a game and you kind of get the history of that social settlement, how it grew problems it might have. And then when you're done, you can use that for like a novel or in this case, game world. So, cause they come, right. they come from a settlement and then the idea will be, you know, when they go out on this hex crawl and come back, the idea is to help their settlement grow, survive, thrive, etc. And so I'm going to try and add some mechanics in for that that side as well. Not just murder hobos kicking down the door and taking all the gold. Um, right. So, so have you have you gotten to the drawing out your hex map portion of the hex crawl or are you still at the like? Still no, I, I actually have not. Uh, so, I mean, the we. I wanted to run a game, um, and so basically they were lost in a sandstorm in near Albuquerque, New Mexico, what they call the Kirky, um, and saw basically the ruins or what they thought was like an uh, an ancient's building, like a hut. And it turns out that it's basically with all the drifting sand, it was the top of a well, it's a spaceport, um, it's the starport, the control tower. And so they went in through one of the broken windows and then they spiraled down, you know, had a fight, nearly killed them <laughs> because <laughs> because that's how they rolled their characters. Uh, and then spiraled down into this building that's all covered with sand. And now they're exploring that building. Um, and then what I figure is what I I did, I showed the Ex Novo thing to them um, uh, this last weekend when I was over at one of their houses they were like, yes, let's do this to make the settlement. And so I figure we'll make the settlement and uh, I'll make up the, the hex map uh, as well before our next session. So very cool. Um, yeah. And let so, them, yeah. So, let I mean, I was, we, as, as, as was mentioned in the lost episode, uh, I was also running, I mean, I'm also running a hex crawl. Um, mine is, is more science fantasy. So I'm skewing a little bit towards, uh, Greyhawk with expedition to the barrier peaks thrown in and other kind of sciencey weirdness. So there's nice. a, there's definitely going to be some mutations running around, and um, I think there's a little bit of kind of spell jammer in there. So the 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 weirdness is coming more from the monsters. So I'm relying heavily on Kobold Press's uh, Tome of Beasts and um, I think it's Creature Collection. Mm-hmm. Creature Collection. That books downstairs right now. I have a big stack of books as I'm working on the hex ball, <laughs> and so this is my lunchtime game. So 
uh, it's been cool because they have actually headed out from their original world, and so we're very much taking sort of the it's a D and D fifth edition game, but we're very much borrowing from the the story game mindset of just kind of building the world as we go along. And so when somebody asks a question about, well, how what what's this world like? I say, I don't know. What do you think it's like? Right. So this is then given rise to one of the characters. He decided he wanted to be a lizard folk. Okay, let's talk about lizard folk. What's the deal? Okay, well, actually, this whole area used to be ruled by some sort of reptilian civilization thousands of years ago. So now yep. a lot of the uh, relics we're going to find, well, those are all left over from from the ancients. So you've got Dragonborn and Dragons and what have you. And, Very cool. And various um, mutations running around. And so the book that I, I've ordered but have not received yet, which kind of seems to be the perfect book for this this campaign, is uh, Arcana of the Ancients by Monty Cook um monty cook games okay and so they've got mutations they've got uh ciphers and kind of numenera so you know their big thing was was the the numenera science fantasy setting which is takes place like a billion years in the future got it um and so it's giving me the possibility of mutations but for fifth edition so i'm I'm nice eagerly awaiting it but we're in the COVID 19 era so it takes a while for books to order like you know the days when you would order the book and it shows up tomorrow or well, they're not with us they're, right now. They're not so. with us right now. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so I'm very much looking forward to cracking that book open and starting to throw some weird stuff, weirder stuff at the party. That's cool. Yeah. So, so you're using fifth ed. I was about, I was going to ask, but it, you answered my question before I asked it. Yes. How did you yes. make the hex map? Did, were you just, did you use any process or did you put stuff down? So, you know, it's funny. I spent a lot of time searching for a process because I think I was kind of paralysis by analysis, sort of like it, this, it's this big, open, kind of scary hex, right? You have, a, just you have an empty app, sheet of paper. Nothing but hex paper. Yeah. And you got to start drawing something, right? And so it's like, well, how do I how do I come up with something that kind of makes sense? And then I've, at one point I just realized, and I, after spending far too much time reading about other people's hex crawls, <laughs> I came to the conclusion you know, and, and some people have like very complicated, very detailed systems of like, okay, here's a desert hex. Now roll on these three tables to generate, you know, all of the surrounding hexes and the microclimate and the, the different things that right. live in those areas, which 20 year old me would have been totally down with. Yeah. 40 something me does not have that kind of time. <laughs> <laughs> so I just sat down and started drawing. Right. So nice. I, I just like, okay, I know it's going to be called the Serpent Hills. All right, so if there's hills, maybe there's mountains. Okay, there's the shield mountains that are to the west. What's to the east? Well, I want to have a crash starship. There's a crash starship out there. Nice. Um, and so it's just kind of, once I kind of gave myself permission to just start drawing and, and not being super concerned about the, the climate, like I've, I think like most gamers or at least most game masters, I've spent a fair amount of time reading about world creation and thinking through like, the, the actual physics and world building of, okay, if you have mountains mm-hmm. and there is an ocean nearby, then when the water vapor hits the ocean, the water is going to hit the mountains and run back down to the ocean and it's going right. to be drier. On the other the side. Mountain, right? right. And so try not to have totally ridiculous maps, but at the same right. time, okay, it's, it's a, like but a it's, gamma world science fantasy knockoff. Exactly. Not, like, yeah. I mean, if there's a microclimate have... that I want, I'm just going to throw it there. Yeah. So. And then, and then, you know, the idea can be, you know, well, why is it here? You know, why is right. it snowing in the middle of this rainforest? Well, there's a whole reason for adventure to find out why. You know? Exactly. And then you, and, can, uh, and then you don't have to figure right. it out now. 
<laughs> right. And, you know, I think one of the things that I've certainly learned, and I'm certainly not the first person to have, have mentioned or noted this, if you as the DM just kind of throw it out there, more often than not, the players will start speculating and they'll yep. come up with the answers for you. Yep. Just some of my your hand. <laughs> some of my best games, like like the best game that that I have been told I have ever run, was a white uh, a White Wolf uh, Vampire of the Masquerade game, and I ran it very differently. I had everybody make, I didn't, I had everybody make their own themselves as humans, and then they were changed uh, during the course of their preludes. Um, I also said, don't worry about the points in the book; just read the dots, and rate yourself um so like like according to the strict vampire rules they would have been uber monsters because you know like yeah like most college students can can lift you know uh, up to three dots you know it's it it's not that hard if you're you know a 20 something to right. lift 120 <laughs> pounds or something like that yes most of most of the players could drive drive a stick shift okay well that's three dots you know it it very rapidly you would have run out of points <laughs> several of them were you know like yeah i'm going to master's degree well okay that's a bunch of dots there um you know that sort <laughs> right. of thing um and but man I, I never knew i was so overpowered in real life <laughs> yeah yeah you are um and what was funny though is like a lot of the time I would be quiet and that was, and they would talk amongst themselves and they would come up with their own conspiracy theories and I'd just listen. And some of those I would make happen. Um, you know, I, I would do the same thing with, with the D and D games that I would run, uh, the, the one, uh, campaign world that I had made. Um, you know, each game that previous players or, or the, even the same group had played, would add to the history of the world and the next right. the next group would be in that same sort of history um but the same sort of thing you know like if there's a mystery a lot of times i would leave it sort of open ended and they would figure it out or you know if they're trying to figure out how to track down the big bad i hear all their plans and i i take note of which ones will probably work which ones won't and hey that one sounds really interesting you know, that sort of thing. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah. Listening as a GM, developing your listening skills as a GM uh, really, really helps plan for adventures. Indeed. As opposed to the way I used to do it, which was allow me to sit down and spend eight hours writing this book. Right. <laughs> of which I will run 10% of it. Right. Right. <laughs> Right. Which again is things you can do before you have kids. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I mean, and that was one of the reasons why I. Like I never really ran modules, but I would read modules, you know, just to get ideas and stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, there are a couple of modules that I really liked. Um, I'm finally running the um, Albuquerque Starport, but you know, I, I've pulled ideas from that um, more than a few game in more than a few games in different genres. So, um, which is funny because it's a really small module. <laughs> when, right. at the time i read it it's very it was very influential so so that's it for my hex crawl stuff uh you yeah and you you how is your hex crawl going i should ask uh i 
I think it's going pretty well. So unfortunately, my uh, my real world schedule because we we run this at work, so it's it's with mm-hmm. a, a group of um, friends and colleagues from the day job, and so I've been running a lunchtime game in some variety or another for like the last decade, I guess, which is kind of shocking when I actually sit down and think about it. But it's been going pretty well. We had uh, originally we had been running uh, our lunchtime game had been a GURPS Fast and Furious style game. Um, where we're basically using GURPS light, not paying too much attention to the real-world physics, and just kind of making it up as we go along. And uh, it's not so much the rule of cool so much as it is like the rule of the Fast and the Furious, right? So sometimes as gamers, I think we all have this tendency to kind of fall into, but is that how it would really work? Mm-hmm. And the answer in the Fast and the Furious game is, who cares? How would it work in a Fast and the Furious <laughs> movie, right? Like, so of course you can like jump a tank over thirty cars. That's what you do in a Fast and the Furious movie. Who right. cares if it actually worked that way? Right. Um, if you can jump a car between buildings, you can make a tank fly. Come on. Yeah. Um, yep. But the uh, so then the person who's running that's been uh, on vacation for a while. He took an extended an extended vacation, so I stepped in to run this hex crawl, and it's been pretty cool. They've been venturing out into the world, and it has been going more or less the way I had hoped it to. Which, so me as a DM, one of my goals was to take a step back and to, as we've just been saying, let the players plant the seeds and not spend time over planning and jotting things down and like just keeping the bare minimum of notes I need to be able to carry things forward to the next session and not sweat yep. the small stuff. And so yep. I think it's been going really well. It's been the, the stress relief we need. So... Prior to COVID, we had been gaming once a week on Thursdays, which, you know, if you're, that means that basically you've got like the equivalent of one four hour session stretched, stretched out over the course of a month. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you COVID did the, we've been meeting. Because like, that was your like lunchtime game, right? That was your Sorry? lunch game, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we would, you know, given the, all the things we would normally have to do, we would just meet once a week on Thursdays and call it good in the COVID era just for you know because we've all been social distancing for so long and we were all quite frankly going a little stir crazy we decided to make it two sessions a week sometimes three depends on on availability but it's been going really well I think it's fun I have to I actually need to sit down and draw more of the map (laughs) that's a good problem to have probably it's it's a very good problem to have and it's fun to actually sit down and draw I have hexographer which is a a mapping tool that you can sit down and actually just kind of draw it all out using a computer program but it is very very uh relaxing to just sit down with actual pen and paper and mm-hmm. write it out cool yeah if hexographer is any good let me know or, or send me a link to it because i'm looking for things that are good for doing hex maps i could do it with like illustrator or printing out some hex paper but i also need to share it and right. share is much easier like I had to take a photo of the map for of the starport, and then I'm slowly revealing it using Photoshop. But gotcha. because of the way I had to take a picture of it, like the left hand side is mostly the squares are mostly square, but then on the right hand side, everything's kind of you know kind of kind of like the page was curled a little bit or something when I took the photo. Gotcha. And so like. The, the right-hand side is, is kind of squished. You know, it's definitely not not squares anymore. So the thing I'm trying that was suggested in some of the reading I had done for uh, hex crawls, see our earlier comments about spending way too much time researching hex crawls, um, and I chose to not reveal the map. Oh, so yeah. I'm just describing the map to them and, and in broad terms what they see. So the Shield Mountains are to the west, 
there's this crater to the east. You're in a bunch of hills that limits your, you know, your vision of the horizon. Um, and so it's been interesting because, like, like, they made a knowledge check last time. Like, they were talking, they, they were trying to figure out, they're, they're basically trying to find these lost caverns because they're looking for the fabled Black Lotus um, for reasons. And uh, is it going to be a magic it, card? Is it going to be a what? A magic card. Uh, no, but that might be one of my <laughs> illustrations. Um, and so the, the, most of these characters are, they've determined they're not from the region. So this is all new to them. So they rolled knowledge checks to see what they know about the region. And it turns out they know nothing about what lies to the south. So okay. they have no context for the region that they're actually in. The one guy who grew up here, who is the lizard folk, he's a librarian who grew up in the Scales of Truth, which is this town ruled by a dragon that's been hoarding knowledge instead of uh, gold, right? Scales so, of Truth. That's... Uh... Interesting play on words there. So. Yeah, I liked it. It, was, it struck me. It's one of those things that like struck me at like two in the morning. I know what I'm mm-hmm. going to name my campaign, right? Nice. So it's fascinating to have a hex crawl where nobody knows anything, right? I, as the DM, have some idea what lies to the south, mm-hmm. but I'm just kind of playing with it and as you we can go. So kind of fog of war as like as they go out, you're slowly filling in the map for them. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know, like. To the south, there is Iron Crown, which is a dwarven settlement built in mm-hmm. a crater where an iron meteorite hit. Nice. I don't know much more about that. They send patrols out, so that's a random encounter. I know there's a place called Skull Keep, um, and I know that it's kind of like, uh, it's got a very Mad Maxis feel to it, including, uh, was it Immortal Joe from the... from the uh, Immortal Joe? The latest. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I envision him as kind of like the ruler of the keep, only not quite so much. And so I have these ideas of what lies down there, but I'm really only going to detail it when they get to it, um, which is part of that discipline as a DM. Because I, I have a tendency to, in the olden days, I had a tendency to overplan. Got it. So, so yeah, I think, I think once they've had some time where they've been out in the world and they themselves have a better sense for where things lie, then I'm going to actually map it out in Hexographer and, you know, it'll become more relevant. Like, now you know this region more, right? So yep. um, you have a mental picture and then that's, that's how it maps to the map. But... Until they get, until they maybe they can fly or they get to the top of a mountain or something. I don't think I'm going to show them the map. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a good idea. Uh, I like that idea. I, I think what I would end up, what I'm going to end up doing is similar to what I've done in other campaigns, where like if I do know there's like that Iron Keep sort of location, kind of determine like who they are, what their goals are, right, and that'll kind of determine like when they'll meet them and and like what the disposition is when they'll meet them but like the super fine details i am not even i don't i don't even bother until they've gotten there you know and that i think that'll work pretty well for this particular hex crawl as well so but i've got a wide open canvas because the fact that and and i didn't realize this when i was a kid until I read a particular dragon magazine that talked about like gamma world on the moon. But now looking back on it, the first ever gamma world module was a starport. So the, it, it wasn't an airport. It wasn't a, let's go around the world. It was let's go throughout the solar system. And then all of that collapsed. So like this hex crawl could span the solar system or beyond as and still be gamma world <laughs> um so, so i will say the other the other thing that i found interesting when you're talking about scale mm-hmm. is how much you can pack into a region yeah right and so and and it's more than you think 
And so oh, yeah. the comparison that a lot of people make is to Skyrim. Skyrim is a fairly well-known video game that a lot of people have played. And the, the area, the playable area within Skyrim is 14.3 square miles. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense that, to me. You know, if you look on a map of today's world, 14.3 square miles can encompass a heck of a lot. Um, you know, I right. could, like going across town, there are there's a lot of places even near my house that I would be surprised and have never seen yet. Right. You know, so, and so, yeah, a hex crawl can be definitely a very tiny area and yet be still jam packed with lots of different and diverse things. Yeah. And I think that the, the thing that I found, I was trying to get my head around is like the scale of it kind of defeats you because we drive everywhere. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. and so, you know, driving 14 miles, that takes you, 15 minutes yeah yeah if, <laughs> right? you're, like if you're on the expressway it's, it's, it's yeah definitely 15 minutes if it's but if on you're a side road it's that, maybe a half an hour but if you're right. walking that that's like all day right if you're hiking it you know and like you know if you're on a if you're not on an actual trail and you're just kind of like bushwhacking through the underbrush and you're yeah. carrying a big pack of gear yep. suddenly like and so trying to get that modern mindset and put it into this this sprawling wild um I've been trying to rein myself in there too to give a sense of like, okay, well, this is, it's pretty big, but not as big as you think. It doesn't have to be a thousand square miles for right. it to be full of stuff. I think right. that's the, the lesson I've learned through hex crawls. Yeah, I don't need to map out all of, all of a continent. Yeah, you know, like if it, since it's in, since I'm using the, the Albuquerque Starport, you know, and it's in the Kirky region, you know, I can map out a portion of that. And, you know, if the players say, hey, we want to, roam farther that's fine i can i can map out a portion there or you know and and maybe use some ancient transportation to get them there quickly but there's still plenty of you know, i i don't know that they will actually want to do that because there should be plenty of interesting things that i can kind of fit into the a smaller area as well right you know, with the occasional trip outside and then back. So, right. And so I think part of my ground game for my hex crawl has been, I, I have i I've been doing a training program for running a 10 K. Mm -hmm. And so I've run a five K before, which seemed when I first started running uh five K seemed impossible. It seems impossible <laughs> to me. And I would love it. If you would be my, if, if, if you would help me with uh, moral support to get me to five K. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, it was painful all the way. It was, um, it was hard. I think having it like, uh, you know, I think we've, we've talked about before, but not um, with a studio audience. Um, yep. You know, running, uh, running a 5k is one of those things that as you're doing it, having a training program is helpful. Having like, explaining to you, you know, this is your rest day, you're doing intervals, um, you know, so you, you don't just go out one day and decide you're going to run 3.2 miles, which is what a 5k is or right. Right. Um, you, you need to work up to that or else you'll just drop dead. Right. Uh, which was, you know, what I tried to do. Like the first time I'm like, <laughs> I'm bad at running. No, I'm not bad at running. I never, it's like nothing else. And I maybe very few things in your life. Do you ever just like <clears throat> walk out the front door and say, I'm going to be an expert in this? Yep. Even, even, run five miles. <laughs> even when you have done training, if you do it wrong, you know, it's still bad. Like for instance, in high school, I used to do cross country when I was in junior high and then I was living overseas in Malaysia and they're like, Hey, we need people for the track team, you know, because it was a small school. <laughs> and I was like, you're asking me, 
to be on the track team. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I, I did join the track team, but there was a, a friend of mine. He ran the 1600 meter and even during training would run it really fast. In fact, the, you know, the, the coaches would say, Hey, pace yourself, pace yourself. Well, we finally got to an actual meet, um, like our one, one meet with other schools. Right. And he sprinted it. And he only made it three quarters of the way before he went down on his knees and threw up on the side of the track because he just pushed his body too far. Um, exactly. You know, it was just too much for his body. So, yeah, I, I, I understand from, uh, from that aspect, pushing yourself too much too quick yeah so having learned my lessons of the 5k i've now got a 10k training pro program that i got from runner's world and um it's a it's, it's set out over eight weeks and so it's it is what is the same way of doing this which is okay you run for two miles on one day and then you have intervals training where you run like 400 meters was it 400 meters rest for like two minutes run another 400 meters you do 400 meters four times with breaks in between and then you run another two miles <laughs> And I mean, I've been feeling pretty good about running and I thought like, and you know, I didn't think it was going to be as hard as it was. It was completely humbling like, because <laughs> that, like I've been jogging, right. but I haven't been sprinting. And so yep. to jog for two miles and then to try and sprint for 400 meters, I didn't even know how long 400 well, meters was. Yeah. I will Longer than you, I would have liked. Yes. It's, uh, <laughs> it's almost half of a kilometer. Yes. It, but. But yeah, if sprinting like actual full out all all sprint for 400, you know, that's that's rough from my days in cross country. The thing that I remember being really rough from running was was the rest you you'd run. And then if you were like for for cross country, it was a long distance thing, you know, and right. and and I learned early on in training. Doesn't matter if you're winded. Do not slow to a walk because getting your right. butt started <laughs> to run again is so much harder. Just keep the whatever pace you had and just finish it. <laughs> don't don't try and slow down to rest and then try and start running again because it just feels worse. <laughs> yeah, so I actually have to bring it back to a, a geeky topic. So in my running, yep. um, and, and I started running just because I, I, I needed an exercise to just kind of get fitter as a as a geek dad you know we have so much stuff that we're doing with the kids all the time i just needed an exercise where i could just go out my door and do it so which is that was my motivation to do it originally and when i've really started doing this training program and getting to the point where i was actually capable of running a 5k or getting close to it my visualization was uh from nine princes in amber have you read nine yes. princes in amber oh, yeah. uh, they're, so, they're up on that shelf somewhere when Corwin is running the is walking the pattern, that's my that's my motivation because got it in the book. Corwin uh, pushing past the resistance needs to walk this magical pattern, and to complete the pattern and prove one of the blood, uh, you have to pass through these different shrouds, these different barriers along the way. And the key is you have to keep moving. If you if you don't, if you stop, you die. If I remember correctly. Right. And so you have to push your way through each of these shrouds. And so when I'm running and I hit that wall, it's like. Okay, that's the first shroud. Need to just it doesn't matter yep. how slow you go, you just need to keep going. Keep moving. So yep. That's my visualization. Yep. I can feel the flames rising up around my feet and uh the resistance growing and then you push through it yep. and get on to the next one. So. Yep. Definitely don't sit down. 
<laughs> definitely do not. You will not. You will just. You will just. That will be the end of your run. So. Right. Exactly. You might as well just stop. So. <laughs> right. We also wanted to talk about, well, our general topic that we did talk about. We can re-talk about. Um, although you said you might have some different games this time around, was like I have one, three new RPGs we'd like to play. Yeah, we could probably both take one off because since we recorded, but we can still talk about it if you want. Uh, since we recorded, we have both played in the same game, uh, Tales from the Loop, which I hope you're enjoying because I'm running it. I, I hope you're actually enjoying. <laughs> I, I am it. definitely very much enjoying it. It is a fantastic it's, nostalgia trip. It is. It is a pretty cool nostalgia trip. I'm. It is a very different game to run from what I'm. What I've, you know, one being out of kind of practice GMing, but but two, it's it is a narrative game. Like I don't roll any dice as the GM. You know, it's all up to the the kids. The the players um and you know so our game is set in 1983 which coincidentally now that i recall is the start of game world um <laughs> maybe you guys could have a, nice. a game of that new game game world at some Ooh. point game with any game we're going yeah. meta yep and then uh and they're out in I'm trying to remember it's not nevada or is it nevada they're it in the they're in the U.S. Boulder City, Boulder City, Nevada, right? Boulder City, yeah. Boulder it's, City, it's um, not New Mexico, right? <laughs> this I don't is think no it's New Mexico. It <laughs> doesn't really matter, uh, but it <laughs> it's a fictional city. Uh, but there's so there, you know, you guys are are out investigating things, uh, remembering what being a latchkey kid back in the '80s was because parents didn't really, you know, parents weren't there; they were working. You know, back in the eighties was really the when the full two paycheck marriage sort of thing really was was a thing. Now it's normal. Right. But back then it was how do we do this? Well, I guess the kids will kinda take care of themselves. Oh, they did. They they didn't die. That's great. <laughs> in fact, just a couple weeks ago when I was when I talked to my parents, I was like, Yeah, I you know, you know, I drive all the way over to Porter County, blah, 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 you know, from where we lived. Um, and, and my dad looked at me and was like, you did? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, I had a bike. I mean, the pool, the, you know, like I went to my friend who is a mile away, you know, on my bike, go to the pool, which is about a mile away. Porter County was only about four or five miles away. Might as well go there. You know, I, I went even further than that a couple of times. But basically the idea was, hey. Come home before it's dark and or before dinner. Right. You know, and days before cell phones, it was just like, that's the way it was. And so that's very much kind of the vibe I'm trying to bring to Tales from the Loop, in addition to the weird super science mystery that you guys are investigating. I think the um, the challenge, I, I'm really enjoying it. I think uh, it, it was on my list for the last time we were talking about this because it does. I, I love this time period, and I love uh, just kind of like evoking those sorts of things. And the original source book is actually set in Sweden, which is where uh, half of my family is from. So it just seemed like I had to buy a role-playing game that was set in Sweden, because I don't know that there's any others. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The thing that I found interesting, as we've, we've done, what, two full sessions at this point, right? Yep. Is trying to get our kid logic 
figured out, right? Because when we're confronting the problems, we're trying to think about what we would do as kids, not what we would do as gamers, and not what we would do as adults, and not what we do as kids today. Right. Right. So, right. Um, because kids in the 80s, you know, you just go kind of charging off after that. Like, the responsible thing to do is maybe go tell the authorities or find the principal or yep. do whatever, right? Um, but hey, we're here. Yep. We're three miles from home on our bikes. What would kids do? Well, kids would do this. It might yep. not be the right thing to do. <laughs> yep. But it's what we would do. <laughs> and, 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 and actually... Kind of checking yourself and getting in that headspace is part of the challenge of the game. Yeah, and, and since the game was written you know, they're not expecting people who like everybody who plays it to be people like us. Right, exactly. There's actually <laughs> lines in the game that say, like, if they go to the parents and talk to them about it, the parents will just kind of blow them off. You know, I'm, I'm right. very much pra- <laughs> paraphrasing it, but the parents won't believe it uh, or they'll they'll get there and it'll it's like be a Phineas and Ferb moment where it'll just all be fine uh, or they won't see the weird thing it'll be it'll be gone or dismantled or whatever and basically everything is up to the kids right what i do like about it is that it's you know the kids might get hurt like they might break an arm or something like that but the kids are always at the end of the day are always safe you know right as as a kid you know broken arms happen a broken leg when you fall off a bike or whatever happens but kids aren't going to be in real peril Right. In that sense, you know, they're not going to die. They're not going to get kidnapped or any any of the other really horrible right. things that could happen. Um, right. It's still very much a like a Goonies or um, I haven't seen Stranger Things, but I assume Stranger Things sort of thing. And I'm trying to run it more lighthearted than the the episodes that I've seen. Actually, I've only seen one now that I think about it. Uh, episode <laughs> that I've seen of, of <laughs> Tales from the Loop on Amazon, which was like in my mind super brutal to the little girl who's the main yeah, character so in darker, that one. Right? It's like, like really so dark. Very yeah, I made the mistake of watching damaging. it at the beginning of the COVID era, and like I don't know that it was great for my headspace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've the- got this craziness happening in the world, and then you sit down and like thinking Tales from the Loop is going to be you were describing and it was what it actually was which is kind of wow this is this went to some dark places <laughs> yeah or like like real genius with val kilmer sort of deal, right you know like crazy college sort of science weird stuff definitely for kids not college right but yeah i'm i'm glad we've been playing it it's been a lot of fun in fact we'll play it in a few days i hope yes uh, we yes. had to cancel at least once because of life but life happens yes Yes. So, so, which game would you like to talk about next? I don't know. I mean, I could I could talk a little bit more uh, about the. I don't have. I last time I had them all ready to show. Like, if we were, See, gonna, I have them all ready this you time. Know. You inspired yeah, so, me. All We're right, upside down. All right. So, which one is it? Oh, that's Tales from the Loop. This yep. was this was Tales from the Loop. Yep. I have I have the PDF version, and I had printed it out because I could, but I had not picked up the hardcover. But I. Re- really thinking about it because it's that art is beautiful oh it's um, fantastic i'm probably gonna pick it they have actually there's a tales from the loop art book um, yes i don't know if all of the art that's in the rpg is also in the art book but the art book is amazing one of the other games that i was interested in was 
And I don't know, I, I really want to use it. It's more of a meta, like, layer on top uh, called, uh, it's from John Wick, not the assassin, uh, the game designer. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, but it's a, it's kind of a little mini game piece uh, that you can actually get as part of a larger bundle of others of his games, but it's called Flux. And the idea behind it, I really just grabbed me, which is, you know, there's like your group, maybe, maybe your group doesn't like to play anything other than D and D, or maybe your group is getting a little tired of, of the game you're doing right now, or you're getting a little tired of running it or whatever. Well, the flux kind of allows you to keep playing with those same characters, but then switch systems and worlds and everything. The meta behind it is, or the, the, the conceit behind it is the, and the, it doesn't even go into what is doing this or how or why, which is, can be a whole other thing that you could add to your campaign, which is like the world changes. You don't jump to, through a portal into another dimension. The, your entire world dimension, you just change. And you, so like, you know, you're, sitting here and you know you're playing a D&D game and your character's a wizard and suddenly everything changes and you're now a mutated rabbit in gamma world right. um and the way you work it is your your D&D character sheet goes into a binder and then your gamma world character sheet goes on top of it and there are, there's rules in it I won't go into those but the but most of the time you will remember that past character. The more you switch, the harder it is for you to remember more of these characters. So you can basically, the flux allows you to switch these settings. What was cool about it though, is because you remember those earlier things, you still have access to those earlier character abilities and knowledge, but the universe doesn't like you using it. So <laughs> that magic user who's now a mutated rabbit, maybe there's a bunch of killer androids coming at you, you can say, I cast fireball and you do. And it basically, since the universe doesn't work that way anymore, it goes off to whatever kind of the GM feels is it's maximum effect. Um, it's super effective, but then the, there's a backlash from the universe. Well, it notices, Hey, that that's a fireball. That's, that's not something that should be here. So for the next couple of games, the universe is going to try and kill you. And so it's just, it's just a really interesting concept, especially when you think about, you know, eventually you're like, Hey, let's play that D and D game again. And eventually that D and D character goes back on top because it's the same right. one. And then all the other characters are now underneath it as well. So you can have that. And then you can have a whole meta thing of like trying to investigate as the universe is changing out from under you. What is causing these shifts? Who is causing these shifts? You know, is this something that can be stopped or should it be stopped? You know, a whole bunch of other meta questions can start to be asked by your, your changing, ever changing character to try and get yeah, to I think that's a really cool it. concept. <laughs> I really yeah. like it. <laughs> yep. Why don't you uh, talk about one that you want to play? Yeah. So I want to, uh, given, out of the times we're living in, I am jonesing to play Star Trek. This nice. is the um, 
I always massacre their name. Uh, Mophidius. 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 I um, yeah I yeah, yeah. I I I've only. It's one of those words that you can read, and it you yes. always pronounce it right when it's in your head, and then yes, when exactly. you say it out loud, you have no idea if it's right or not. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then you meet somebody else, and they're like, "That's not how you pronounce that." Like, yeah. are you sure? I'm. Um, you know, I, I have no idea how to pronounce it. Right. And I'm bad at spelling things, uh, saying things phonetically anyway. So, anyway, it is the latest version of a Star Trek role playing game. My friends and I have kicked around this idea a little bit. I love the idea of like the optimistic nature of star trek i think i would want to run something in like the original series movie time frame or maybe shortly thereafter where you know you you encounter strange things every week and maybe you're exploring some unknown region you know hex crawl in space maybe mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. what i like like uh, original the- like original series more episodic yes. than that yes or, less or uh less like next generation yes and more um more original series or or less like hey, ds9 and and voyager yes yeah, like Picard, the, like you know, Picard and Discovery are both um, they're they're heavily episodic in so much as they, that the story is carrying over from episode to episode, right? Um, right. As opposed, to I'd want more standalone things. And the cool thing that, about this game, it's fairly simple. It uses their two d twenty mechanic. I'm still getting my head around the mechanic. It's one of those things I keep picking up the book and reading it, and then get carried away by something else. But the thing that I like from a, a meta standpoint is that you play the bridge crew. But you have alternative characters because it isn't always appropriate for the bridge crew to go, you know, like, beam down to the planet, right? Right. So it could be that, you know, the equivalent of the Commander Riker is beaming down. Okay, everybody break out your red shirts. Because obviously we're not sending the whole bridge crew except for, of course, when you send the whole bridge crew except for Scotty. Right. Um, right. <laughs> in which case, Scotty's red shirt comes and, and well, <laughs> we all know what's going to happen to him, right? Right. Um, right. And so I think there's enough. The beautiful thing about Star Trek, especially within my group, is there's enough shared knowledge of star trek that we would be able to play with the tropes and um and kind of have some of those adventures with uh i think it would be very easy for us to slip into this um very cool so that's that's uh and i think it would be a nice little anecdote for an anecdote antidote <laughs> <laughs> be an antidote to some of the crush of news and the world events that we yeah are, uh, we were all living under yeah more lighthearted. we could have totally played tales from the loop much more like the amazon version of it but that was just like too dark i think right now a lot of people are playing role-playing games more for the escapism than you can play role-playing games for a bunch of different reasons one of which is to explore concepts and like maybe the darker side of human psyche and i think right now a lot of people are avoiding that because that's what's happening in their life right now right they don't want to which is get away from that which is why my other pick i don't know if it's really still my pick but i bought (laughs) the book and gosh darn it i really want to play it right uh, is the alien role-playing game which is pretty much diametrically opposed from everything i just said about star trek and that you are playing uh characters that are up against the unstoppable killing machine known as the xenomorphs right right um I think this is another one that my group personally would have fun with if we went the like the, the colonial marines angle. Um, the game kind of assumes like there's different ways you can play it. That you can do a campaign mode, and you can also do cinematic. Where cinematic, it kind of assumes the characters are going to die because if you've seen Alien or if you haven't seen Alien, spoiler, a lot of people die. Right. Um, I could see all my friends getting into the colonial marine headspace and kind of playing with. I wouldn't necessarily make it a comedic game. 
but you know having fun with the hicks lines right like game over man game over like right. that kind of style play where it's more the roller coaster and less the heart yeah uh like when when you mention like colonial marines i'm thinking um like a squad based uh game of like the starship troopers movie you know where they're fighting bugs and and you know it's it's very much with the bravado of the be- of the beginning of the the aliens movie you could definitely still go the aliens route or you could go with the starship troopers route of we're probably going to win all the time um, <laughs> when you were bringing up aliens and, and we're talking about it and I didn't think about it the last time we spoke, but this time I'm like the way that aliens could be run, um, especially like cinematic mode reminds me of, and I, having never played it, but you have is call of Cthulhu. Um, yes. Where, you know, you have that slow insanity coming, you know, there is doom. You aren't going to win the best, you know, in a lot of, in a lot of that stuff, you know, those mythos sort of games are ones that probably wouldn't be super keen on right now. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I have wanted to play, but it's like, Oh, you know, King in yellow, you know, there's this giant sickness sweeping across the world. Yeah. A little too close to home right now. Thanks. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's very much a little too much close to home, but you know, if you're fighting the Xanomorphs and you can blow a few of them up, yeah, uh, that might be cathartic in a different way. So. Right, right. Yeah, my other one that I I ran, we I ran briefly. I think you were in that. Yeah, you were in that one. Uh, was it was so much focused on learning the rules that it wasn't as much fun playing wise, and then life got in the way and we just never continued it. But that's Blades in the Dark, which is and or same system, same sort of concept, but instead of like magical fantasy, sci-fi, which is scum and villainy. And the idea behind that is you're kind of a crew of some sort. In Blades in the Dark, you're you're kind of a street gang um, that do jobs, do, do capers, do heists. You know, that's, that's kind of the base set. What I really like about it from a, a setting and rule standpoint is that unlike games that in my, in my past and your past probably as well, like Shadowrun, you know, it's like, oh, we got to break into this place and steal this, you know, you know, hack into this thing and steal this prototype cyber arm or whatever. You then spend three sessions just planning the heist and gathering nice. information, <laughs> doing all this other stuff. Blades in the Dark, you know, you say you pick an approach, you know, you're going to you're going to go in guns blazing. You're going to social your way in. You're going to sneak your way in. I think there's one more, but I can't remember it right now. But you choose one of those approaches, as they're called, and you roll uh, some dice based upon that approach to see how the heist has started. Um, if you roll really well, you, maybe the heist is going well. If you roll poorly, maybe you're already in a combat with the guards. You have more of a, of a Ocean's Eleven or, uh, I'm now forgetting it with the... Mark Wahlberg and the Mini Coopers. Um, oh, uh, the Italian job. Italian job. Yes. Or Leverage, you. the TV show. Leverage. Uh, Leverage, Leverage is really good, um, I would say, because there's a lot of the social aspect there, too. Um, right. They, they don't go into the, the smash and grab stuff as much in Leverage. There are a few episodes of that there, but that is definitely one of the inspirations. But the idea is, especially with Ocean's Eleven and Italian job, 
you know, you get to certain places and then they'll do a flashback. And Blades in the Dark has a flashback mechanic. So it's like you don't have to plan. When you get to the safe, you say, okay, now I want a flashback for how we break in, like how we know how to get into the safe. Kind of role play a scene and you roll some dice and depending upon how that dice rolls out, it's like, all right, you got the tools, you you got all the tools, you you studied the the, the model of safe that's here, et cetera, et cetera. And then, well, maybe you didn't do so well on those rolls, and then we flash forward again to the present day, and you're at the safe. You look at the door and you go, "That's not the model safe we prepared. <laughs> what the heck are we gonna do now?" And then the game continues on from there, and it's just really cool. And there's there's several other layers of of rule sets for like downtime and burning off heat and increasing your gang. Um, you know, what happens if one of you gets arrested? Well, you can now, now you can start a gang in prison. You know, like all that kind of stuff is in Blades in the Dark. And it's just layers on layers of, of fun. And I, I'd like to do that. Scum and Villainy is basically a very thin veneer over, you don't have to do almost anything except call it Star Wars. Um, right. <laughs> to To make it into a Star Wars game where you're doing those things as a rebel cell against an evil empire. Now they have their own setting, etc. Uh, against it, but they called it scum and villainy for a reason. Um, <laughs> you know, and I would really like to run a Star Wars game on that using that system as well. Um I think that's uh that, that sounds fantastic. I think um I think Blades in the Dark was great. It was a great experience even though we were learning it because I th- I love games that and Tells from the Loop I think does this too where it stretches your brain in different ways as as gamers. As humans, mm-hmm. we have a tendency to fall into certain cadences, especially if you've been playing with the, long, the same group for a long time. My group's been together for 24 years, mm-hmm. and we're playing D&D for much of that. And so, you know, like, it's hard, actually, to start in the middle. Like, yeah. it's hard to, to, to give up all of the planning that we as gamers, or not speaking for all gamers, but at least for my group, and I think for many gamers, like, you're used to, this is how you do things, right? And uh, what do you mean we're skipping to the middle? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Makes you uncomfortable, right? Yeah. And, and so, but then, but then you start using that mechanic, and it's and it's like, yeah, I want to use this more. It's like when I first started playing like the Fate System stuff with Spirit of the Century, and the idea of having aspects for each character that allow the player to do cool things, but also gives the GM a hook to make the game more complicated not to go against the character like not to not to win but like you know it's like oh well that's the whole thing just got more complicated because you know your aspect of um you know uh you know stronger than the bull of hephaestus or something like that just got you know that got tagged and now 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 as a player oh i've got i've got another fate point that I can use later, but I might need to use it to get out of the trouble that we just got into, you know, that sort of right. thing. And it's, it's and I, really cool uh, being able to do that with things like the, some of the stuff entails from the loop and, and blades in the dark. And I've, I've totally stolen some of the stuff from blades in the dark, like, um, <laughs> like the clocks, um, you know, it's just an extended test in some ways, but like a clock, I'll just do this. It's just like, you know, you, you draw a circle on a 
on a index card and then you make it into pie wedges. And then, you know, instead of instead of saying, oh, you fail your lockpick roll, it's like, okay, well, you fail it. Um, you get through it. You know, it's not a you fail the lockpick roll and didn't open it. You did open it. But now we've got this filled in pie wedge. Um, and the, the title of this clock is, uh, uh, guards alerted. Right. Uh, And, and that just sits on the table and is just out there. And the players see those wedges get filled in and, and it adds a lot of tension to, uh, and it may never get filled up, right? But it's there and the players see it adds tension i've totally ripped that off for other games um (laughs) and it's just it's really pretty cool uh being able to do that um especially since so many like there's a bunch of you know 5e and other games like that out there have these extended tests and extended ideas so the concept is there it just gives it physical or visual form um and so it's not really adding a new rule in that sense but it adds to yeah, and I do love those extended challenges. We're we're running my my weekly game is a uh, is actually Star Wars right now, and so we uh, I'm running it. And so my most recent adventure was uh, running a skill challenge in which they must navigate the unknown regions to reach their destination planet. And I wanted it to be more than just like popping through hyperspace. I wanted them to have to think through the the, the unknown regions are hard to navigate. There mm-hmm. are challenges, there are dangers, and unless you're an excellent pilot or you're tuned to the force or you are the chess of the chess, the chess. Chiss. Okay. The chess, they have, you know, they have uh force sensitives that help navigate their ships. Like there's whole backstories as to how you can navigate through this. And so I yep. I used uh, Saga Edition has the idea of a skill challenge, which is taken from D D fourth edition. And it was great because it wasn't just a straight up win or lose. It was, you know, they're they're making their way through it, and as they're failing things are interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, failure is always interesting. And I think um, that's a great, that's been a great lesson to learn from games like this. And, uh, and, and it adds to that tension, right? Like one more failure, what's going to happen. Yep. And that was something that was kind of missing from early games is the idea that failure makes the game more interesting. Um, a lot of the stuff back when we started podcasting was when story games really started coming out. And the idea that failure is not the end failure is failure makes the game more complicated. There is no novel that is successful. I'm sure there's novels out there that are written like this, but there's no <laughs> novel that that is successful. That is popular where the hero just wins all the time. Right. You know, they just waltz right through everything beats everything. No problem. And, you know, there's always risk. And, you know, even way back Lord of the Rings, you know, Frodo has his his crises of of conscience, faith, willpower, whatever you want to call it, you know, kind of gives into the ring at the very end and fails right at the very end of the book. And if it if not for Gollum, then the end of the book would be very different. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, and so failure makes the story more interesting. And that wasn't really there at the beginning of role playing, and I'm, you know, I don't fault them that they were they were inventing role playing back then, right? But having these tools now just to make things more interesting, 
you know, allows for things like, like the skill tests and other things like that, where, where failure isn't the end of the game, but it's a, it's a failure that the heroes in the game have to now overcome uh, and become better right. heroes for it. You know, you're right. telling a hero's, uh, you know, a group of heroes journey. I love a lot of those things, you know, and I, I've always gone through various systems that I have yet to ever play, may never ever play, but but it's always fun to see what other designers are creating and then liberally steal from them. <laughs> and so speaking of that, as we close out the show, I have my last game, which is not a new one. Uh, it's actually one that's been on my shelf for a long time. Uh, hearkening back to our earlier conversation of Amber, it is the Amber Diceless role-playing game. I have yet to which, play that. I would love to play that at some point. It's fascinating. Um, first of all, because it is a diceless mechanic, so you're actually comparing stats Character generation is a bidding process where you have like three or four different people and there's a pool and you're you're bidding for what your attributes are going to ultimately be. And then during the game, like I'm going to be the best at a thing. You're not going to be so good at a thing. I'm going to automatically beat you. So how can you bring your other attributes into play while you're playing the game? And so I've read through it. And this is one of those games that I would go back and smack younger me. Um, I always thought I'd have the opportunity to run this because, or play this because, you know, every year I'd go to Gen Con. Mm. This was when I was going to Gen Con every year, like the late, uh, early 2000s, late 90s. Um, and there'd always be a table. Like you could always play uh, Amber Diceless because uh, it was really popular was back game. then. It yep. was really popular. Everybody was playing it. And yep. so, and now, you know, 20 years later, not so much. So. It's fascinating. I have never played a diceless game, and I think this is just kind of it's on my bucket list of I would love to try a diceless game and well, geez, I have this one, so is it is it a very political game against other players, like you know very player versus player sort of thing, or is it I think it can uh, be a lot of different things, and I think that's the other thing that was intimidating about it at the yes. time was yes. the people who were really into amber and very much into um making their own suite of car suit of cards uh the the trumps the, the tarot and the trumps cards, the, yep. the tarot for the from the game from the the books and so it was a little bit of all of the above right there should be tension between the players because you are all members of this uh dis- kind of dysfunctional uh royal family that can travel through space and time right can imagine their own worlds and so there's that and so you are kind of inherently because of the nature of the setting frenemies <laughs> right uh, but I think there's usually some larger threat that's pulling you together. Uh, it may be another family member, like one of the earlier generation uh, characters from the novel, some threat out of shadow, you know. And so the idea that you could, the combination of those things, the tension of, uh, of figuring out what your relationships are to one another, which is the part of Spirit of the Century that I always enjoyed, mm-hmm. um, plus this whole universe is our sandbox type thing, plus, hey, let's love her and put in another story. That is the threat that is driving everything. It sounds fascinating. Right. It's also sounds really hard to pull off well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like, yeah, I, I, I definitely would read it if I had a copy, you know, and I've got a friend or two who have played it before and they really love it. But again, I just never got a chance. So um, I think it is the sort of game that you have like a social compact. We're going to run four sessions of this. And this is the setup, and this is this is these are you know it's definitely one of those things where you kind of like need the com- the campaign tr- contract coming in. Yes, there's going to yeah. be a little bit of PvP. Like here's the expectations that you set for the campaign. It's not a long term thing. Here are the guidelines for what we're going to play. Like where yeah. are you comfortable going? 
<laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So rather than have it be more like, especially if it's a game group that you're, you played with for a long time, rather than have the unspoken campaign contract, you definitely need to lay it down and, and put the boundaries around it so that everybody understands how it's going to be. Like I could come in and think, Oh, this is going to be a very PVP heavy game. And so I'm going to be ready for that. Whereas somebody else might be like, Oh, we're going to fight against chaos. Okay. So I'm ready for that. Right. And not even thinking PVP at all. Um, so right. like having guidelines, those boundaries, those things defined early is probably going to make it a bit better of a game. Indeed. So that people aren't playing two different games when they're playing the same game. <laughs> yes, because it is, I mean, the books themselves cover a, a wide variety of like what I would call play styles, right? So, yes. I mean, you, cause you could, PVP would be a perfectly valid interpretation of Amber because that's what the books are. Yeah. Um, summoning armies out of shadow to go confront the big bad. That is also a thing. Um, trying to, to find your lost plane of reality or lost Avalon um, and having that be a heroic quest to try and capture this lost memory. Mm -hmm. um, you can never have that thing, but maybe you can imagine a new version of it and the quest that goes, that's also a thing. Right. Right. So. right. Yeah. And, and so that's three. So you just described three completely separate games all in, all in Amber. So yes. <laughs> uh, so yes. Talk folks. <laughs> yes. We've been talking for about an hour and 20 minutes. So, um, which is about our, my normal podcast length, but that's with, you know, like five other hosts. Um, <laughs> so we should do this again very soon. Um, Indeed. But I think we should wrap it up tonight. So Indeed. So there will be contact information in the show notes once we figure out what the podcast is called, where we're hosting it, and where the show notes will be. Yep. Yep. Um, you will know all of this uh, because you are from the future. And we don't know this because we are from the past. Again, this is uh, David Moore. Ken Newquist. <laughs> and, and we will uh, talk to you again soon.